The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. So we're in this time of seeking God. Seeking God so that we can live for His purposes. I mean, seeking God because we want to know Him better. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been sharing with you some of the hindrances that there are to us actually seeking God. Some of the things that come against us, and some of those things aren't what might, we might say great sins as far as we're concerned, because we don't even really notice them in our lives. We talked a little about, about this independent spirit that we have, this sense of us just being able to get on with life and forgetting that God is there, when really we need to know God is there all the time, and actually it's If we didn't have God there, then we wouldn't even be alive because he sustains us. So there's something in the background that hinders us, but we don't always understand that. So we've been looking at that over the last couple of weeks. But today, I want to look at the goal of our seeking God. When we say we're seeking God, what is the goal? What is is it that we're aiming for? And that what we're aiming for is this, to find his presence, to meet with God. That sense of looking for him, seeking for him, is that we might find him. And that's the goal of what we're doing. And this is very much linked with prayer because it is through prayer that we have relationship with God. It's very good to remind ourselves regularly that God is good, that God loves us, that he cares for us, that he made us, and that God wants relationship with us. And when I say us, I mean you. God wants relationship with you. Yet not not just the person who's sitting next to you or the person who's next door, but the person I'm speaking to is you. God Almighty, creator of the heaven and the earth, he wants relationship with you because you are special to him. He created you for his purpose and therefore he wants to have a relationship with you. That really, you know, is the message of the Bible, that God cares for you that God loves you, that God's concerned for you, that God wants relationship with you. He is always caring for his people, always on the lookout for his people. You know, when the Israelites were released from their captivity in Egypt, if you remember, and you can read this in the book of Exodus, God, through Moses, brings the children of Israel out of their captivity in Egypt. And he leads them to Mount Sinai, where they receive the law of God. That is that they received instructions on how they as a people were supposed to live. When they'd been in Egypt, they'd just been living according to the ways of the Egyptians. But now God was saying, like, this is the way. This is the way you need to live. But it wasn't just a whole set of instructions that God said to them at Sinai that they needed to keep. It was at Sinai that God revealed that he wanted to live among his people. He wanted to come to them. He wasn't just being far off God. He wanted to come to them and to make himself known to them. And it was at Sinai that God said this to Moses. Exodus 25 verse 8. He said, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. 
God had not just been interested in making Israel escape from their captivity. And he wasn't just interested in giving them regulations on how to live life. God wanted to be among his people and wanted to show them his presence. He wanted them to experience the fact that he is real and that he is with them. That is what God wants. And that has been his heart always from the beginning. When we looked a few weeks ago at the beginning of time when Adam was there, Adam was created And in the beginning, Adam had relationship with God, unbroken relationship. There was this fellowship, there was this understanding that he had with God. He could tap into the wisdom of God. It wasn't that Adam had to have all the answers. He knew that he didn't need all the answers because he had God. And God was with him and God fellowshiped with him. God was with Adam in the beginning. And it was only sin that corrupted that relationship. And God wants to have that relationship. So here in the desert in Mount Sinai, God was taking his people out of captivity and he said to Moses, make a sanctuary for me, a place where I can dwell among my people. Barnes, in his notes on the, New, on the Old Testament, he says this word sanctuary, this is a hallowed place. It's a hallowed place that God wanted to make amongst his people. And that was a place, and the word sanctuary is including the tabernacle and everything that is in the tabernacle. And he goes on to say that I may dwell among them. What God was saying is the purpose of this tabernacle was that he might have a definite place where he was a consistent witness to his people with his presence surrounding them. God wanted to be with his people. He wanted to be where his people were and he wanted them to experience his presence. And so God showed Moses a pattern for this dwelling place of his, this tabernacle. And on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses this direct instruction. Exodus 25 verse 40, he says, see that you make them, that is all the things of the tabernacle, see that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. The tabernacle wasn't just a suggestion that God made. Hey Moses, can you go and build me somewhere where I can sort of have a dwelling among my people? No, it wasn't like that. It wasn't just sort of offhand. It was like this. God said to Moses, look, have a look at this pattern. This is the pattern that I want you to reproduce down on, on the earth. This is the, what I want you to make for me because if you make this, this is where I'm going to come and dwell among my people. Look, I've got a picture here of what the tabernacle would look like. Now, let me say to you, I got this off the internet, I know that. It's a picture, but I love the way that it's put in a sort of a a desertish type setting, and it gives us a real understanding of perhaps what it looked like. This isn't real, because I notice on the side curtain there, you can see an electricity PowerPoint, so I know that this wasn't the actual tabernacle. I believe this is just a reproduction. But it gives you an idea of what it is like. And that's the tabernacle, but let's have a look at the plan, as it were, the floor plan of that tabernacle area. So you can see there the outline, which is where the tent was, uh, the tent in the middle, but the outside is a courtyard. And you can only just see, but it says, by the letter E, it says entrance uh, e is pointing to the direction, but I mean, it's, that's where the entrance is. So you would have come in through a curtain in a gateway, an entranceway at that point, and you'd come into a courtyard. And then you'd have gone past what is called the altar of burnt offerings. You'd have gone past a bronze laver, a bronze washstand, that is. And then you'd have come into that tent part that's in the middle of the courtyard. 
And again, you'd have gone through a curtain there, and you'd gone into the first room, because that whole tent area is divided into two rooms. You'd gone into the first room, and that is called the holy place. And in there, there are three things. There's a golden lampstand. There's a table of showbread. That's a table that has got 12 pieces of bread on it, representing the 12 tribes. And also there's a, a, a golden altar where incense is burnt. That's what's in that first place, the holy place. And then you had to pass through another curtain, and that took you into what is called the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And there was the Ark of the Covenant. And here's a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, again, this is only a, a representative picture. But it gives you a picture of, of this box with a lid. And on the lid are these cherubim, these angel-type figures who are holding out their wings. And you know what? This is what God said to Moses about this place. Particularly this area above the lid, but below the, cherubs, uh, the um, cherubim's uh, wings. God said this, Exodus 25, verse 22. I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. That place, just above the top of the Ark of the Covenant and beneath the wings of the cherubim, that was a place where God was going to speak to Moses. And God did talk to Moses. He spoke to him right there. But he also encouraged Moses, not just to come in there on his own, he encouraged Moses to anoint Aaron and his sons to be priests who would also minister there. And God gave them extensive instructions about how to come to this place. Let me just describe to you what Aaron was instructed to do. And we've still got the floor plan up so that we can walk through this. First of all, you're just coming from your own tent where you live. You're outside of the courtyard. You're in everyday life. So we always start coming to the presence of God from everyday life. But the first thing we do is we enter into the entrance of the tabernacle. You come in through the entrance gate. And as Aaron came in through the entrance gate, he would go up to the bronze altar... And it is there that he would offer sacrifices on that altar. And having offered those sacrifices and made prayers, he would then come to the bronze laver, this wash basin. He would cleanse himself completely, wash himself completely, and then he would enter into the holy place. There, he would go past the, candle, the candlestick, the golden lampstand, the table of showbread, and he would come to the altar of incense, and there he would offer incense and burn incense on that altar, and again bring prayers before God. After that, he would then go through the curtain into the Holy of Holies, and then he came to that place of the ark, and there he would meet with God. Now, this tent of meeting, this tabernacle of Moses was a holy place because that's where God met with his people. But you know, if you read in the story of this story in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, read those stories about how this tent came about and how they built it and all those things. 
In Leviticus itself, it talks about Aaron's two sons. And in Leviticus 10, it talks about Nadab and Abihu, who came and offered what is described in the Bible as unauthorized fire. And they died. Basically, they came into this tabernacle area, and they were burning incense, but they were burning incense in a way that they would not been told to do, the result of which was that fire came out from the presence of God and destroyed them both. Approaching God needed to be done in the way that God had said, not in the way that they felt was right for themselves. And that was shown in this terrible situation because God had actually destroyed Nadab and Abihu by fire. Following this situation, God issued a command to Moses for him to tell Aaron, and that is that the high priest would only be able to enter that holy of holies once a year, and that is what's called the Day of Atonement as far as the Jewish calendar is concerned. And of course, if we were to go on further into Israel's history, we see eventually they move on from having a tabernacle like we've shown you here. They go on to actually building a temple. And the only difference between the two is that the tabernacle could be taken down and moved around with the children of Israel, where eventually Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. And it was a fixed place. It couldn't be moved because it was made of stone. But that was a fixed place. And yet the temple was built on exactly the same lines as we have seen today. Okay, so that gives us an understanding of the tabernacle and the various areas. But what does this have to do with prayer and seeking God? I want to tell you this. Seeking God has a destination. It has an end result. And so should our prayers. We're not just praying generally. When we're talking about seeking God, the ultimate goal of our prayer is that we would have a close relationship with God just as the ultimate goal of the tabernacle was that you went into the presence of God and you met with God there. And we understand, looking at the tabernacle, there were various stages that you went through to get to that final place of the Holy of Holies. And you know what? That's what I think Jesus is describing in terms of prayer when he says in Matthew 7, verses 7 to 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. Incidentally, just as an aside, the word ask has that order in it, if ever you wanted to remember that. A-S-K, A for ask, S for seek, K for knock. So it's a simple way of remembering that order. But you can see it's not just an order, it's actually almost describing various stages in our prayer life. We begin a journey just as they began the journey into the tabernacle. We enter from everyday life. And you know what? When we start to pray, we're starting from a place of just everyday life. You don't always feel close to God. I've just been doing some cooking or some washing up or whatever it might be, or yet another Zoom call. And so, you know, you're coming from everyday life and you want to come to prayer. There is a sense in which you start, just as they started with the tabernacle, outside. Maybe you just come from your tent, you approach the tabernacle, but when you get to the tabernacle, you go in through the gates. What does the psalmist say about entering the gateway? He says this, Psalm 100 verse 4 Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. 
It helps us in our prayers, even at the very beginning, to have this idea, I am on a journey to somewhere. And there are stages, there are places on this journey. The first place is that I'm entering into it. And a good way to enter into it is that we give our thanksgiving and our praise. It's like starting at the doorway, I'm coming in to you. And this is what we're encouraged to do. When we get into the courtyard, we come to the altar, just as the priest came to the altar. And we know that the altar is a place of sacrifice. Now, let me just say this. The altar is a place of sacrifice, and yet not every sacrifice in the Old Testament is to do with that of atoning for our sins. There is sacrifice that's offered for sins. If we committed our sins, and in the Old Testament, you see, because there wasn't the blood of Jesus at that point, you see them having to offer sacrifices. So they offered a lamb, they offered a bull because of the sins that they had committed, and they wanted to get right with God. But it wasn't always about sin. At the altar, they also offered sacrifices which were called fellowship offerings. These were sacrifices that were made to say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I appreciate what you have done for me. I want relationship with you. And there's that sense in which they offer themselves. But when we come to our prayers, when we come to that place of the altar, what we're saying is, I'm surrendering to you. Lord, maybe it's that we need to confess our sins. Father, I know that I have done this. I lost my temper again. This is the attitude I've held in my mind. These are the things I've been thinking about. These are against your purposes. I recognize I have a tendency within myself just to do my own thing. There are many things that we can bring in terms of that altar to say we're sorry. But also, it's not just that. At that altar, we're also saying, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you that you are my Savior. Thank you that you are my Redeemer. I want to bless you, Lord, for your goodness and your loving kindness towards me. I want to thank you. It is a place of surrender where we're giving ourselves to God. Romans 12 verse 1 says this, where Paul writes and he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. When we're coming in prayer, we not only come in with our thanksgiving and our praise through the gateway, but we come to that altar to surrender, to say, Lord, you're in charge and I want to present myself before you. Having been there, we want to go to this wash basin and we just want to make sure we're clean. Lord, I want my mind, I want my attitude, I want to make myself prepared from every contamination. I want to be clean from every contamination because I know where I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to get to your presence. Now, I know some of you will say, well, God's presence is always with us. Yes, I know that. God's presence is always with us. And yet I would challenge you with this. You also know when God's presence is with you in a different way. We know it. So it's not just saying, oh, his presence is all around. I'm talking about the fact of we're going somewhere where we know we have met with God. That was the purpose of the high priest. That's the purpose and the goal that we want to have in our prayer. The high priest, having finished washing, is now ready to enter into the holy place. He goes in through the curtain. We go in through the curtain as our prayers. And we're now coming to a place of being reminded, of being focused on some of the things of God. I talked about the lampstand that was there. The lampstand is the only light in this place. You've now gone from the outside light, you've now gone to a place that is dark, except it's not completely dark because it is lit 
by this lampstand. And it reminds us that God is the light. That revelation alone comes from him. And he is the light of the world. But it also reminds us that he has said to us that we also are the light of the world. There's a sense in which that light speaks to us. The bread of presence. I said there was 12 pieces of bread there to represent the tribes. And yet also that bread declares to us, remember this, man does not live on bread only, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This holy place is a place of remembering things about God, of getting ourselves out of a mindset of the world, but into a mindset of heaven, where we're getting our perspectives right. And we come to that altar of incense and now we are wanting to offer our prayer and our praise to him in a deeper way. Father, we have been cleansed. We want your presence. We want you. You are the one that we have come to. You are the one that we are focusing upon. You are the one that we love. Our hearts, oh God, are hungry for you. We are desiring you. There is an overflow now from our hearts in prayer at this place. Psalm 14 verse 2 says this, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. We're offering our prayers again at this altar of incense. And the incense is burning up, as it were, around us. We're now ready to enter into the Holy of Holies. That is going through another curtain into that place where God's ark is, where his presence is. And to enter the Holy of Holies, we need revelation from God. In this place, there is no light at all apart from the light of God himself. That's the only light that's there. It's the only light that can be seen in this place. It is God himself. And therefore, what that's saying to us is we won't be able to see anything unless God reveals it to us. So often we go in there with our expectation. I say we, I'm talking about myself. You're trying to get to this place and it's out of your expectation. This is what I want. Look, that doesn't work. It's not about me. It's about him who is light revealing himself to me that I may find his presence. I've got to lose myself completely. I don't matter anymore. What matters in going into that place is him and his glory and his presence. And it is in that place where we can have deep communion with God. It is in that place where God starts to unfold his mysteries. It's in that place where we truly find we are known by him and he knows all about us. It's in that place we understand things and we start to gain insight and revelation. Where he puts the burden of his heart upon our hearts. It's in that place. So we can see that... If we align prayer to this idea of coming into the journey of the tabernacle, we can see that there are stages. There are, 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 yeah, there's stages. There's a journey. That's what I want to show us. I know sometimes that I can easily say, come on, we need to seek God. And I know for some people that, that well, seek God, what does that mean? I'm trying to show this morning A little bit more understanding of what that means. When we say we want to seek God, it means this. We are aiming ourselves and positioning ourselves for this goal. 
that we might actually meet with God and to have fellowship with him in a way that we understand that God is communing with us and we are communing with him. It is finding the reality of who God is and his presence that causes everything in our hearts to be changed. So if we're saying, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? It means like this. It means that we're starting a journey and we're pressing on into that journey so that we may find his presence because that is the final destination. Listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, verses 12 to 14. He says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. Can you see how it's like Jeremiah is describing this journey? It's like, first of all, we're saying, I'm outside of the camp. Hey, I need to seek God. I need to find him. And God's saying, look, you will find me. You will find me. But you know what? There's a journey and there's a pressing in. And it's like there are stages to walk through. You've got to advance. You've got to take, go forwards in this. You've got to change your focus from a worldly focus to a direct upon God focus. You've got to understand. Listen, in the writer to the Hebrews says this about faith. He says, without faith it is impossible to please God. For everyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. There's a sense in which we have to trust who God is. We have to know. We have to grow in that confidence, in that understanding within ourselves that we're going to seek almighty God. There is a direction that we're going in. And Jeremiah describes that direction, but he gives us this courage. Listen, you will find me when you search for me with all of your hearts. And see how this fits in with what Hosea says in Hosea 10 verse 12, where he says, sow, for your, sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness upon you. That's almost describing the fact of our aim is to get to that holy of holy places and to find there the light of God in that dark place shining out upon our lives that we have communion and fellowship with him. Let me remind you where we started from. The reason we are talking about this is because God himself wants relationship with you. Sometimes he seems so different, so distant. Sometimes he seems so hard. You see, this is where we are called to seek him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That's what the word says. And listen, actually, it says in Hosea 6, I'm just reminded of this. Hosea 6, it says this, the children of Israel had been encouraged to return to God. They were in this sense of like, we need to be renewed in God. Hosea 6 verse 1 says this, come, let us return to the Lord. He's torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. And then it says this, uh, Hosea 6 verse 3, Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. Don't you expect the sun to rise in the morning? I, I know we have those dark, cloudy days, but you know what I mean. You expect, oh, it's morning, the sun's coming up. And if there's no clouds, you see the sun rising. That's, oh, it's such an expectation, it becomes, a, oh, we just take it for granted. Listen, the word of God says this, as surely as the sun rises, he will appear. 
I want to express this to us. God is for us, not against us. He wants relationship with us. He wants to commune with us. And what he's calling us to is, hey, will you come after me? Will you come and seek me? Will you come and find my presence? So when we come to our prayers, which is our way of coming towards God, we start with asking. We start with that level of asking. And the asking stage is literally that. I'm asking God, God, will you please help me? Will you please help this situation? Hey, God, did you know about this? I've got my family. There's a friend of mine who's sick. Can you bless them? Will you heal them? We're coming to God, but we're at that first stage of we're asking. We're asking. There's lots of things we've got in our hearts. We're asking him for it. But God says, listen, that's the asking stage. I want you to go beyond that. I want to encounter you. So we have to go through that stage. We almost have to run out, as it were, that we can then come to a new stage. We want to go into the holy place. We've come to that place of the, of the altar. We've come to that place of washing, but we want to go into the holy place. We want to go into that first part of the tent. We want to start seeking. And that's where we need to change from our asking, God, will you do this? Will you do that? Lord, I seek for you. I need you. I long for you. My heart longs for you. As the deer pants for the water, so my heart longs for you. There is a new stage. We've asked a lot of things. Now we are seeking him. We're seeking his presence. And that takes us, as it were, into the holy place. And from there, we want to change from seeking, just seeking. We want revelation to overflow over us that we may start to move from seeking to knocking. And the knocking stage is where, as it were, we go into the holy of holies a place where we really lose ourselves, where we start to gain God's heart, a place where true intercession really begins because we hear about the things, the burdens that are on God's heart that are coming on our hearts that he's saying, please, will you pray about this? Please, will you intercede for this? Please, will you lift my people up in this situation? Please, will you help them? We can't get to that place without God moving our hearts. There are stages, asking, seeking, knocking. Look, all I'm trying to lay before us today is to encourage us there is a journey ahead of us. There are ways that we need to walk in. There are a route that we want to take. There's a goal, there's a destination for us. And I want to encourage all of us to press in. This is what I seek to do. It doesn't always mean... Hey, oh, I've got there. Often I find, no, I don't even get beyond the asking stage. But it gives us a route and something to look at. You know what? If you don't have a target, you've got nowhere to aim at. But if you have a target, you've got somewhere where you're focused on and you're aiming towards. Isaiah 45 verses 18 and 19 say this. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he found it, he founded it, he did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in the land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. God hasn't told us, oh, just have a go at seeking me, and it's a vain thing to do. No, 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 no. God has said, look, seek me because I am there to be found. 
That's what Jeremiah reminded us about. Lord, will you please make us wholehearted in our seeking of you? Will you help us, Lord, in our journey of pressing into you? Will you help us, Lord, to find your presence? Lord, you know the frailty of our lives. You know, oh God, that we have often started but haven't really made it. Lord, in your mercy and in your grace, will you do what it takes to move us so that we may find your presence and may find the glory of knowing your heart and of interceding and of praying your will into being. Seeking God has a destination. That destination is finding him and hearing his heart. And I want to encourage us all. Let's keep that journey. Let's keep pressing in on that journey that we may find him and know him. May God bless you this week as we continue to press in upon him. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.